thanks for tuning in to Crispy Bits, the podcast. In today's episode, I sat down with food writer Claire Tanzi. Claire's been in the food business for about 20 years. She was food director of Chatelaine magazine, which meant she ran the test kitchen there for about six years. And she was in town promoting her first cookbook, Uncomplicated, which came out last fall. So I thought we'd sit down and answer some of your burning culinary questions, so to speak. Both of us get a lot of questions about ingredient substitutions, oven temperatures, what kind of salt to buy. So I thought it would be fun to sit down and answer some of those questions over a plate of jelly donuts. Both you and I write recipes. We do. And that's a whole... We could talk for an hour about recipes. Yes. And maybe we'll get to that. But you must get as many questions as I do about, you know, do I use salted or unsalted butter? What Mm -hmm. kind of oven should I, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I thought we would tackle some of those kitchen questions. Yes. With an an expert. And it would be interesting, too, to hear how some of our opinions differ. Uh, Exactly. Right? I know. Because I, I think people feel like there's a right way and a lot of wrong ways. And, and fact, that's part of the problem, right? Exactly. That, that, that there's like, if you've ever watched Gordon Ramsay, there is a right way and there is a really, really wrong way. Mm-hmm. And to know the right way is sometimes seems secret. Yeah. Like, it's something it's that you don't know unless you've been to chef school or something uh, yeah. like that. You know what? Hot tip. Not true. Totally. And there are so many variables in the kitchen, right? Your oven, your tools, your, you know. The size of your hands? Like, come on. Your ingredients, what you (laughs) like, like your personal taste, right? And eating is so personal. And, uh, and so, and the internet sort of perpetuates that with the best roasted chicken Mm -hmm. or the best or like the, you know, and, and the best is very subjective. So, so I put out on Instagram Mm -hmm. that we'd be sitting down and chatting and, and ask people for their, Mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so shall I just jump in Hit me. To, to some of the <clears throat> I have the strong opinions that... and I'm not afraid to share them. So one that I actually get quite often and uh, and Caitlin asked, are thoughts on convection oven? So I, I always like, I sort of err on the side of the most basic of whatever. So whenever I'm developing a recipe, I'm always using the most basic, most common, most inexpensive, least elite thing possible. So like I'll never call for an induction burner or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So whenever I'm developing recipes, I'm always using a straight up oven, no convection. I use an electric oven because that's what most people have. Me too. And if you have convection, fun, great. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother is always calling me and saying, oh, hi, so I'm going to bake this on convection. So what do I do? (laughs) The general rule of thumb is reduce the temperature by 25 degrees. But as with any oven, just keep an eye on it. I think if you really get to know convection, it can be great for baking. I've used convection ovens in, um, you know, like in professional baking, Mm -hmm. and it can be great. It can be faster. It can be more even. Mm -hmm. Same with roasting. So roasting chickens, roasting turkeys, it can be easier, faster, better. But at the bottom line for me, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, I'm not bothered by it and I don't use it. (laughs) Exactly what you just, exactly what you just said. I don't use it. And partly it's because I, I'm just used to using a regular oven Same. and I don't, and it's tricky when you're writing recipes, you want to use the ingredients and the tools that most people have. Right. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And back years ago when I had a bakery, I, you know, I had a convection oven and mm-hmm. found um, I had to change a lot of my <laughs> cooking formulas. I find they they may cook more evenly, but they don't brown the same rate, hmm. you know. And so, but ultimately, things, it's nuance, right? It's like it's really nuanced, nuanced and you're still going to get a cake or a cookie or a roast yeah. chicken, and it's still going to be tasty. Yeah. And what it comes down to is knowing your equipment, 
right? Like, mm-hmm. like being familiar with it. And if you suspect that it's off because a lot of ovens are off, mm-hmm. my mom's oven was like a hundred degrees off. She didn't know it. <laughs> and, a, and even new ovens can be off. Yeah. My new oven, my, may I just say, we, I have a fancy lick, La Cournou oven. Yeah. It is beautiful. Yes. I would never buy one again. Yeah. And it's gas cooktop mm-hmm. electric oven. Yeah. And it takes forever to heat up. <laughs> it runs hot. It's uneven. And there is no one in the city of Calgary who will touch it, mm-hmm. who will fix it. Mm-hmm. So it's like having a high-performance sports car that doesn't run very well. And no one will, <laughs> no mechanics in town will. So, um, hey, I've, got another, like, oh. I've got an oven from Sears, so I've got nobody who can fix it now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's all right, though. It's still, it's a workhorse. It's a but workhorse. I, honestly, I miss the old GE electric oven that came with our house that I don't even know how old it was, yeah. but it lived with you know, a family with three boys for 10 years before me and it was banged up and it heated up quickly and evenly. And I, and so when people feel badly and they see, you know, my beautifully Instagrammable oven, you don't need to have really good tools. You don't need a $300 knife to be a good cook. No, really don't. And that's another part of the whole, uh, the the intimidation factor Mm -hmm. is that people think people who don't cook, um, think, Oh, well I need a fancy oven. I need fancy equipment. I need, you know, 17 knives and a whole whatever set of, you really don't. And I love to, uh, to sort of play the game of kind of the smaller, grungier and least best equipped kitchens can produce the most amazing things. Totally. Right. So you can walk into a billion dollar house. That's got an absolutely incredible kitchen. I have a friend who's a personal chef, so I've seen a lot of these fancy. Oh, yeah. kitchens and well they don't they have to hire a personal chef because they don't cook in them totally. so don't ever feel like not having good equipment is um is a barrier to entry yeah. i would say i do think a good knife will make mm-hmm. your cooking happier it's more fun and to, yeah. you know and but honestly beside that mm-hmm you can cheap out on almost everything else. I, I agree. I have beautiful knives. I mm-hmm. have a few expensive Japanese knives mm-hmm. and I love using them, but I've, I've heard a lot of chefs say you can't make a good meal without a good knife. And it's like, mm, well, you know, my grandma made some really yeah. kick ass meals yeah. with like her $6 paring knife <laughs> yeah. that she used. For, I remember I used you know, to love speaking of old cooking shows there. Uh, Jamie Oliver did. I mean, he's done a one trillion cooking shows, mm-hmm. but he used to do shows out and he would be in a van. And so then he'd show up at some place and he would literally sit on the stump of a tree yes. and using a paring knife and a little <laughs> tiny cutting board on his lap, he yeah. would make dinner. Yeah. And anybody who's been camping, which is not yeah. me, but I respect everybody <laughs> who does. Um, they, you know, like, yeah. So it's not, you don't it's need true. fancy stuff. I mean, we should point out that Jamie Oliver, when you watch the credits, has like seven food stylists. Fair. So. Fair. However, you do see him actually using the knife. But uh, yeah, I think people just have this idea that they need really expensive tools. And, yeah. and, and I, But you know what, Julie? The same goes for ingredients. May I segue into the next yes, topic? Yes, you may. Because I get that question a lot too. And in fact, one of the most popular pieces I've ever written um, was uh, the only nine ingredients you need to spend money on. Because oh. people will think, oh, well, yes. you know, you can't, don't cook with bad wine. And if you don't have San Marzano tomatoes, your your sauce is not going to be good. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this an explicit podcast? Absolutely. Jan oh, Arden was... shit. <laughs> <laughs> Jan Arden was just on, so... Like, if you're buying tomatoes to make a bolognese sauce that is going to simmer for four hours mm-hmm. with 
veal and beef mm-hmm. and carrots and mm-hmm. onions. And, and, and guess what? I know. 99 cent canned tomatoes are totally fine. Don't go spending $5 on a can of tomatoes. Yeah. You don't have to. There yeah. are, as I said, I feel like there are nine ingredients that you should spend what you can afford on. Do your best. Yeah. Uh, and then everything else. And what are they? Okay. Now you're, I knew you were going to say I, that. Well, I can, I'll link, I'll link <clears throat> to the story, but. Okay. Um, we can't not say the nine ingredients. So extra virgin olive oil. Yeah. But then you only use it when you're not cooking with it. Exactly. Everything else I use canola oil. Me too. Um, balsam- <laughs> I know. We're just the same. We're not going to yeah. have any fights. we got to find something to fight about. Yeah. Balsamic vinegar. I always say uh, with those two, spend closer to $20 a bottle than $2 a bottle. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's kind of the only way to tell mm-hmm. where the quality is. Like, don't do brands and stuff. I think chocolate is a good place to spend money because mm-hmm. you can really taste the difference. Yes. Anybody who has been eating leftover Easter candy from the last two weeks or yeah. however long, you know that the difference. Parmesan cheese, get the real thing. Don't get the pre-ground stuff. <laughs> You're horrifying. Not the tower. Not the tower. <laughs> no, no. 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 Unfortunately, my son loves the tower. So. Oh, wow. Um, But the pre-ground stuff makes all the difference. And then you get the rind, which is basically a flavor bomb just waiting to go off. Totally. Um, Lemons. You should always be buying fresh citrus Mm -hmm. and not the bottled lemon juice. It's just not the same. Nope. Um, Although some people won't notice a difference depending on the use, like depending on the application, you know? Possibly. Possibly. But also when you buy a fresh lemon, it's like the Parmesan rind. You get Mm -hmm. the rind Mm -hmm. as well. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Bacon. Get good bacon. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. Mm -hmm. If you've ever cooked a pan of bacon and you find the pan is actually full of water, it's because the bacon's been uh, pumped and you don't want that. So get good bacon. Get good meat in general. Yes. It's another place where you can really taste it. Mm -hmm. Um, I eat a lot less meat than I used to. Me too. And that's partially because I I crave less meat, but also because when I buy a steak and it's 45 bucks, I'm only doing that once every other week. Exactly. Yes. Lentils the next day. That's right. Um, What else? Ice cream cream oh right yes you need good ice cream i really love ice cream because good ice cream again this is one of those it's just if you can really taste the difference when you're eating it out of the carton which is come on let's be honest that's how we eat ice cream how it's eaten um and my son now is into like you know the multiple colored bubblegum oreo blah 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 and that's fine he can have that because i won't be eating it all if it's in the yeah right exactly but then i have my little container of really good ice cream Mm. and you only need a couple of Mm. spoonfuls of that and if it says frozen dessert on the front of the tub <laughs> i tell my mom this all the time she's like which ice cream is it i'm not supposed to buy the, the one that says dessert. frozen dessert yeah on the front because the, the dairy people have come in with their big heavy stick mm-hmm. and have broken the legs of anybody yeah. who's calling yes. it exactly exactly but it makes Sorry. it easier to identify good ice cream versus it does not good it does. ice cream that's a good one i think was that nine i don't know oh uh here's another one um it's not really an expensive one but i always suggest trying to get tuna packed in olive oil like oh, can- yeah, when yeah. you're buying canned tuna. Mm-hmm. I had a whole like crise de bacon, as we say in my home province. Like I had a whole crisis the other day in the tuna aisle because I couldn't find any oil packed tuna. Interesting. And anybody who likes like a tuna fish sandwich, yeah. it's a tasty thing. It. Um, the oil packed tuna is so much more flavorful it than is. the water packed stuff. The water packed stuff just tastes like eating a wool sock. Yeah. So now I tend to buy the, um, the, the Italian cans. So, so you're a tuna snob is what you're saying. It's only one of nine, Julie. <laughs> one of nine. That's a good one. That is yeah. a good one. And actually sometimes they're cheaper than the kind of, if you get the light tuna packed in oil, mm-hmm. that can be less expensive than the white tuna packed in water. Oh. People, I have deep opinions about all these. Products. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> People are very opinionated about food in general, which I think is 
great. Well, it's something that we have direct experience with. Everybody has direct experience with it. And it's something that we approach at least three times a day. So there are a lot of opportunities to, you know, be opinionated, to try things, to make an opinion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. No, it's great. So that, that segues actually perfectly into Crystal's question. Uh Top five must have pantry items for cooking and baking. Oh, each. She wants one (laughs) from each of us. Cooking cooking and baking. Top five must have pantry items. So does that not count butter? Because butter is in in the the fridge. fridge. Um, Mm. Pantry items. Okay. So baking. Okay. So I mean, baking. Well, okay. So something I love for baking, and this is controversial, so maybe we can fight about this. Okay. I don't know. Yay. It's the pan baking spray that has flour in it. Oh, yeah. Do you like it? I adore it. Oh, I don't even think I've used it for 20 years. It comes out. So I years ago, I was I met with um, one of the representatives from Nordicware. You know, mm-hmm. they make all those yeah. fancy bunt pans and cake pans. And I think she was showing me like a train set. It's like, you know, you can make a cake out of trains or yeah. a train out of cake, tra- whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I hope it's a train out of cake. I had a two-year-old at the time. So <laughs> it was like, yes, I need to make this. And when you, she said, the thing you need to do is use the Pam baking spray with flour. So it's not the cooking huh. spray. The cooking spray is yeah. just like a straight oil with a kind just of a thing oil. in it. The baking spray has a little bit of flour in it and it comes out thick. Like it almost looks like mm-hmm. caulking. Like, it, yeah. It's, it's like foamy it's and like thick. It's like foam yeah. insulation. Yeah. Um, and it does have a funny little bit of a vanilla scent when it comes out of the can. Don't huh. worry. It doesn't translate. Interesting. But for any kind of like muffins, cakes, hmm. Not like bunt pan, obviously, you got to have it because otherwise you're in there with a pastry brush with yeah. the melted butter and then you do the flour and you got to knock it out. So like, oh my gosh, this stuff is worth its weight in gold. Love it. That is good to know. I'm going to try it. I like just the regular, you know, canola spray Yeah. Um, for things like bunt pans and I just spray them really well. And I yeah. put the, the door of the dishwasher down and put the pan on there so that you, you know. I've heard that hack before. Spray. That's a clever oh, one. I didn't think of it. Yeah, because otherwise there's a fine mist of canola well, oil all over and your world. My mom used to make us take it outside. She, if she heard, I would turn the taps on so she couldn't hear me spraying because she'd be like, <laughs> are you using Pam in the house? We would have to take it outside, 40 yeah. below, take it outside, because she didn't want, she thought it was bad for us to breathe in, she thought, it, you know, it got all over the kitchen. You'd be like, no, mom, I'm just smoking a and cigarette. She's like, all right, honey, it's okay, I'm just smoking a doobie, don't yeah. worry about it. Um, so, so I was yeah. always, I still feel a little bit guilty when I spray it in the house. Okay. I do it on the uh, dishwasher door. So, but I, have you ever used like the paste of, of lard or shortening and, and flour, which is my grandma used to use with a scrap. She had a jar with a scrap of wax paper in and she would just do it by hand. Like she had it already mixed together, the flour and the shortening? Yeah. And it's called, there's a name for it. The internet has a name for it. And it's like, it's like cake paint or something that you paint the pan with a pastry brush, which I've done. I don't do it regularly. Honestly, I mostly use parchment yeah, and, uh, or like a a nonstick liner, unless it's a bunt pan or something Mm -hmm. that you have to get in. And I just use a regular, but I'm going to try this spray with flour. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi. It's a big can. One. Okay. That's a good one. Okay. Flour. I mean, all purpose flour. I enjoy flour. Do you use a wide range of flour? Do you have bread flour and cake flour and all purpose flour? Or do you... Julie, I don't because. Or do I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, for multiple reasons. The first being um, for the Canadian listeners, because mm-hmm. I know you have global reach, of course, with this podcast. I'm world famous. Um, I don't know if you know. Canadian flour is actually the gold standard of flour 
on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the flour that we get that's just called all-purpose flour is what other countries uh, crave and beg for and mm-hmm. then have to come up with various different blends to make up for. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you're, if you're ever using uh, British or American recipes and they are calling for bread flour or they're calling for cake and pastry flour, mm-hmm. it's because they need something that's a little bit more reliable. Mm-hmm. But in Canada, our all-purpose flour is primo. It is primo. It is It is pretty fantastic flour. And so to explain to people the difference, cake and pastry flour has a typically a lower gluten content. Bread flour, which is sometimes called hard flour, uh, has a higher gluten content. And when you're making yeast breads, you want to develop the gluten. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're making cakes and pastries, you don't want to develop the gluten. But it's again, it's just like we were saying with the convection oven, like you're still going to get a loaf of bread. You're still going to get a cake unless mm-hmm. you are making the cake for the Royal wedding. Mm-hmm. You pro- it, It's like we're t- down to such nuance exactly. that you don't have to worry about it. I agree. I agree. And I don't like asking people to go out and get a specific no. kind of flour for, to make a cake. I mean, and so I, yeah, yeah. all purpose is called all purpose for a reason. Yeah. I use unbleached because yeah. I don't know why. Same. No, I, yeah. We need to find something we can fight something about. Something to debate over. Can we talk over? about salt? Oh. Let's talk about salt okay. and butter. So butter would be a staple. Mm-hmm. We, we should finish Crystal's question. Oh, sorry. Flour, sorry. Sugar. I mean, like sugar. staples, like, you know, sugar, brown yeah. sugar, a turbinado sugar. I like, I like stealing the little packets of sugar in the rock you from the coffee shop. You told me that. I we, was reading a recipe of yours. I think it was for some kind of muffin. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Julie Van Rosendahl. If I pay $5 for a latte, yeah. which I do not add sugar to, yeah. I, I feel I'm entitled to a packet or two of I the fancy sugar. I get black coffee. So yeah. Yeah. And it's one packet is perfect for sprinkling over scones, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, muffins, mm-hmm. scones, scones, scones. Yeah. Um, pure vanilla. Oh, and it's so expensive, but a little bit goes a long way. Um, if you have any friends going to Mexico, it's still pretty cheap there, but yes. apparently the, the price is, is it's, back on that yeah, swing. Because it's, Madagascar is through the whole hurricane. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And it takes a while for the, the crops to, you know, it takes three years for new vanilla crops is so to interesting. It is yeah. so interesting. We could do a whole podcast on vanilla. Mm-hmm. So yeah, baking and then oil, Cook. canola, olive oil, um, tomatoes, good tomatoes, yeah. good vinegars, good, uh, I don't know. Uh. Capers. I like briny things. You like, like briny things. Yeah. Yeah. I like capers. I like briny things. Uh, pasta, dry pasta, beans, tons of beans, dry beans, canned beans. Yeah. I have lots of um, pantry staples. I mean, things that keep well in the pantry. Well, that's it. Tomatoes, yeah. pasta, beans, rice, yeah. and grains. My yeah. grain drawer is like. <laughs> oh, you're, well, especially you. Yeah. <laughs> Bags of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And whenever I'm, it's it's something I often buy when I'm traveling. I know that's that's ridiculous. No. But like, because my favorite thing to do when I travel is go to grocery stores. Totally. Right? Yeah. And so I'll be in like Barcelona. I'm like, oh, look at these pretty dried beans in a little cellophane package. Yeah. And then I bring them home, which totally. is probably like illegal. Canned, canned when you're, if you know, depending on where you are, canned fish. Yeah. And, you know, tons, like, tons oh. of it. Yeah. And I always get my butter confiscated. Often by security because it could be a liquid when, in fact, butter well, is a solid when it's but it is a wet security. Because anyway, just, I, I yeah. mean, my cell phone could be a liquid if it was heated enough. <laughs> like anything could be a liquid. This is not a liquid; it's solid. And the hardest part is watching them just toss it in the, the bin, right? Like, oh, so now I put it in my luggage and hope that it doesn't melt. Yeah, in my carry on. Um, so butter. So butter. This is one of the biggest questions I get is unsalted or salted butter. And people say, do I have to go and buy unsalted butter? And what, what do you say? Cause I, I suspect, you know, I think I've climbed up on the soapbox before and talked about it. And this will segue well into salt. 
It will. Right? So I'm pro salted butter. Me too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, and again, so so I worked at Chatelaine. I ran the test kitchen at Chatelaine for six years. Yes. Um, and the I learned so much there. Mm-hmm. The number one thing being, you've got to make recipes usable, accessible, and not annoying. Yeah, because exactly. your end user, <clears throat> we always call her Susie. So it's all the Susies out there. <laughs> we love you. Um, so Susie's at home. And if she's reading your recipe and it calls for unsalted butter, mm-hmm. and we know that Canadians, for the most part, buy salted they buy butter. Salted. They don't buy unsalted. Yeah. Well, there you've just put a huge brick wall in her uh in her attempt Cookie to plans. make this recipe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so why would you why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, then you get into the science of it and mm-hmm. you know the science, I know mm-hmm. the science. Unsalted butter tends to hold on to less moisture because salt is hydrophobic or philic, I can't remember yeah. which mm-hmm. one and blah 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 blah. Um <sighs> doesn't matter. The only time I have ever found using unsalted butter is really necessary is making Swiss meringue buttercream, mm. which I don't recommend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So. Or, if, you know, really finicky pastries, but you're going to add salt anyway, right? Yeah. And you're and, probably going to add liquid anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and most chefs that I talk to about it and, and, and bakers, you yeah. know, people who are experts in the area say that they like to control the amount of salt that goes yeah. into a recipe, which I get, but you're also at the end of the day, you have to add some salt or it's going to taste yeah. flat. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I like, I, and, but I find it a little bit amusing seeing all these new recipes that are like salted butter, this or salted butter, yeah. that, which makes it sound yeah, more like fancy. fancy. And it's like, it's just, yeah. it's really just butter. And you would have added salt. Anyway. And I also, um, cause I'm, I buy a lot of butter. Yes. So I I stopped buying the sticks of butter, which I used to love. Mm -hmm. But when you buy the like regular, just pound of butter, it's usually about half the price. Yeah. And if it's ever on sale at my local grocery store, um, like the name brand or the no name brand, you'll see like the unsalted butter is still piled up to the top of the bunker and the salted butter is gone. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, most people buy salted butter. Salt is confusing in itself because different salts have different levels of salinity mm-hmm. and it, i mean it's even more finicky to to requ- require a certain brand of salt in a mm. recipe than it is to say you know specifically on salt to butter you know to say you need a teaspoon of diamond crystal kosher salt is like i'm not gonna make people like you have to use the salt that you have yeah but when you look at table salt versus kosher salt you know the, mm-hmm. and then sea salt it's all technically sea salt and Salt is salt is salt. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like your body interprets it the same way. People who give me this bullshit line about that sea salt is better for you because it has more minerals in it. How much salt are you eating? Exactly. Honestly, take a B12 supplement. Yeah. Like, I... I I know. I I think it probably would make more of a difference, like, what gas you're putting in your car than what salt you're using. It's really... Salt is salt. Mm -hmm. And... So as it's it's my mantra, I use the most basic, most common denominator salt when I'm developing recipes. I use table salt. Yeah, running iodized. Yeah, ninety nine cents a box table yeah. salt because yeah. it has a consistent granulation. I think that yes. was a word I just made up, but it means that when I measure a tablespoon of table salt mm-hmm. and you measure a tablespoon of table salt all the way over here in a different province, and my mother in law in England measures a tablespoon of table salt. Mm-hmm. 
it's all the same. If Whereas, they're using table salt. If they're using table salt. But if you're using, like, the difference you just said about kosher salt, like, the difference between Diamond Kosher and Morton. Yeah. Like, how huge. many res- fancy recipe books have to say in their introduction, if you're using Diamond Crystal, you can use the measurements as is. If you're using Morton's, then you're going to have to... Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's salt. I know. Like, I know nothing to worry about. But adding... But it, but if you're using kosher salt, if that's what you have in your kitchen, yeah. you need like one and a half to two times as much yeah. to have the same salinity as table salt. Now, there are two instances when I think you really have to use a, a thicker, a coarser salt. Mm-hmm. So one is in a dry brine. So if you're dry brining mm-hmm. meat, I always dry brine my turkey, my celebration turkey. Yeah. You can't use table salt because the table salt will actually get into the meat. It'll actually permeate the fibers of the meat and make the whole thing a disaster. Oh, this is so interesting. So yeah. kosher salt, which mm-hmm. is called kosher salt because it's used in the koshering process, not because mm-hmm. it is kosher, although I assume it is kosher, but it's, it's used in the koshering process, process, yes, which is about drying blood out of meat. Yes. So the thing about the beauty about kosher salt is that it clings to the meat, but it doesn't permeate the meat. It sticks to the outside. Hmm. So you can rinse it off yeah. after the fact. So when you're dry brining a bird, you have to use kosher salt. Otherwise, disaster. And so dry dry brining, to mm-hmm. clarify for people, is you know the same as wet brining. Hopefully <laughs> there's no dry. liquid. <laughs> so you're just essentially salting a bird. Heavily salting it yeah. and then letting it sit for a while. Yeah. I like to do it overnight. And yeah. then you rinse off all that brine that extra. And, then, and then you just pop the turkey in the oven. Interesting. Um, and, and so t- like before we get away from the texture thing, I think that's the biggest factor when yes. it comes to salt is the texture. So your Malden salt, which are like delicate little pyramids, pyramids of salt and they cost more than art. like gold and, and lovely, crisp, crunchy. You would use it as a finishing salt. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't use it to salt your pasta water or salt right. your chicken Unless or you're really, really rich. Unless you're loaded. And trying to show off. And being show offy and putting a handful of Malden you know, salt <laughs> in your bath and Dom Perignon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you want something fine that will dissolve into your baking, you know, unless mm-hmm. you want those little bits of, of salt, uh, or you might finish it on top a little, you know, coarse, mm-hmm. coarse salt to get back to your dry brining. It's interesting. Last week on CBC, I mm-hmm. did, we did an experiment and something that, uh, Simi Nazrat talks about in her book. Have you read salt, fat, acid, I sure heat? Have. Yep. and, and she suggests taking a, a chicken, mm-hmm. cutting it in half and, Salting one the day before, because in, in the restaurant world, a, meat is often seasoned the day before, mm-hmm. right? And she talks about thinking, you know, they she thought it was a time-saving thing, and then she mm. realized that it was a, f- a flavor thing. And so she suggests taking a, a chicken, cutting in half, salting one the day before, mm-hmm. and salting the other right before roasting it. Mm-hmm. So last week on CBC, I took two chickens, identical chickens, uh, sourced same place. I salted one. Mm-hmm. Using kosher salt, and mm-hmm. I do have I do have a, a lot of salt. Oh in my God, kitchen. so do I. So do I. I think and I, have I six. like using I like using diamond crystal, and I don't. I'm not. It sounds like a name dropping diamond crystal. No, kosher it's salt. just. But I like yeah. it because I like the texture. It's it, it's it's and people say like why is it less salty? It's because it's sort of a lighter, rougher yeah. grain, and I I thought you know it's almost like if you compare little tiny ice cubes to snowballs, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's sort of fluffier. Yeah, it's rougher. Yeah. It sticks to the surface better. Yeah. I would use table salt in baking, like in chocolate chip cookies, but I actually use I use the kosher salt in baking too. Um, but I and I like being able to pinch it from my my bowl on the counter. You know, oh, you yeah, can't same. really pinch. Yeah. 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 So so I salted one the day before, 
the other one right before roasting, roasted them together. And it was shocking the difference that it mm. made. Mm-hmm. And the, and I, I kind of think that you want the salt to permeate the meat and make it because salt is well, a flavor enhancer. It makes everything taste more like itself. Yes. You know, not necessarily salty, just more chickeny or more tomatoey. Definitely. Yeah. And I've read, um, you know, uh, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, who is basically my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So I love his scientific in- uh, investigations into things. And he has mm-hmm. looked at that phenomenon of the salting um, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about that the, what sort of happens is that the salt draws a little bit of the meat's liquid out. Mm-hmm turns it into a mini brine, which mm-hmm. then dissolves and goes back, back into the in. fibers of the meat. Yes. I, I don't know, guys. It's fascinating. It is. Yeah. And it's and it's partly osmosis, right? Like the salt moving through between the cell wall to the next cell and, and, yeah. and permeating the meat. And <laughs> we're getting no, geeky and now. And and a lot of people think that, you know, you shouldn't salt your your steak because it'll push the moisture out, but it actually there's like a chemical reaction yeah. that, that that doesn't toughen it, and uh, and that releases more aromas, and that um, you know that just makes everything taste better. <laughs> well, and this is the other thing uh, because I also have a background in product development, and yes, I, I've that's looked right. deeply at um, like sodium, yeah. and so and there's still quite a bit of stigma around sodium, and people will say, oh well, I can't add too much salt; it's bad for my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I my sort of. Uh, glib reply is if you have high blood pressure caused and you're looking, watching your sodium, it's not the salt that you're adding in the kitchen or at the table. That's the problem. It's everything that you're buying that's packaged, frozen, takeout, processed, blah, blah, blah. That's where your sodium is. Look at the sodium count on a frozen pizza. The next time you're wandering down that aisle and you will see that a quarter of a single serve frozen pizza will blow out your sodium count for the day. It's true. It's true. And we all need some sodium in our diets. Like we need, yeah. that's why, that's why mammals have salt licks. <laughs> that's why that's right. We, we do need yeah. some. And so you, it's one thing to say, Oh, I'm not using salt because you know, I'm watching my blood pressure, but you need some salt to make food taste good. Yeah. And, and, and some, I mean, even a little bit will go a long way. If you look at how much salt chefs use in restaurants, oh. they use a ton of yeah. salt. And it's also a matter of taste. Mm-hmm. And all of our tastes are different. Mm-hmm. You know, I might salt something to my taste. And that's, this is one of my personal questions that I'd like to discuss with you. Because oh, I saw Diane Jacob, yes. this food writer, posted, I think last year on Facebook, that Salt to taste, the term salt to taste mm-hmm. in a recipe was the bane of her existence. It's just, you know, drove her crazy. So there's huge conversation about it. And I was like, well, but, but it's, it kind of has to be to your taste because something that I might find perfect, my dad who cuts back on salt might find too mm-hmm. salty. It depends on the, the salt that you're using. Mm-hmm. And, and not, you can't always taste as you go. If you're making a meatloaf, right. you know, or like you might not be able to, 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 T- literally taste it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what people get hung up on. They think, you know, when it says in a recipe, salt it to taste, mm-hmm. they have to stop and taste it. But what if I can't taste it? Yeah. You know, I can't taste my roasted my chicken before it's roasted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just lick the surface. But I, I take it to mean salt to your taste. Mm-hmm. What, like, what do you think about salt to taste? <laughs> okay. I am also like Diane Jacob. I am against the phrase salt to taste. Oh, yay. We disagree on something. Hooray at last. <laughs> For... Well, for kind of two reasons. First of all, because when I write a recipe, I don't, I want to be prescriptive, but I also want to allow Susie, the end user or Stan, whoever it is, Mm -hmm. um, 
to also start learn to trust their own instincts. Yes. So salt to taste, I feel like goes without saying for me. Hmm. That said, if I'm writing a recipe for meatloaf, good mm-hmm. example, I like to give an exact measurement of salt. Yes. And I know that like when I'm developing something, I'm always conscious of keeping the salt just sort of not, not, I don't want it to anything to taste too salty because no. you can always sprinkle a little bit of salt on anything after the fact. Exactly. Um, but I, I do think that when there are, are some recipes that actually need a quantity of salt, like if I had a meatloaf recipe and it said salt to taste, mm-hmm. would that mean like a sprinkle? I but agree. actually in a meatloaf recipe that's using two pounds of meat, you're going to need like a teaspoon and a half or two teaspoons of salt. And so if you only add a sprinkle, it's going to taste like garbage. I, I agree. And there are recipes for sure that I put mm-hmm. a measurement in if there's, but if it's chili, you know, if it's, yeah, I still like, like to offer a starting point. I, I, yeah. And I, I often do a starting point or to taste a lot of the time when you look at a recipe, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily need a tablespoon of oil, uh-huh. a teaspoon of thyme, a quarter teaspoon. Like that, it's not cooking anymore. Uh-huh. It's this sort of prescription. Uh-huh. And why is a teaspoon of thyme right? Why, like, well, yeah, why do you, I really why love you time. Measure, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, it, it suggests that that is the right way to do it. Yeah. And anything that strays from that is going to be disastrous, right? So I like to give. I like to give cooks some control over yeah, the, the end totally. result and, and teach them that they can take liberties, which a lot of, of them will anyway. I find about a oh, third. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say like about a third of people follow a recipe exactly? When I do classes, I ask. Yeah. It's always about a third who who follow recipe, you know, yeah, to the, to to the, the letter. letter. Yeah. In fact, I had one, uh, I was teaching a baking class and, and there was a guy in the back of the class was hands-on. He was making a chocolate cake. He had a bowl of chocolate cake batter. He had his arm in the batter up to his elbow, working oh, it, working it. Okay, working it. And I went to the back with a spatula and was like, D- could you not find this? He- here's, here's a spatula. Here's a spatula. Here's a, yeah. He says, the recipe says to mix it by hand. <gasps> and the poor guy was <sighs> so, bless. he was so focused on doing it right. Like yeah, he wanted to do it right. And I find people do that when I'm in the, in the room, especially. Yeah, they're nervous. They're like, oh, I need to impress Julie. Yeah. But it, it's also fascinating. So I'm going off on all these tangents here. But I also find it fascinating when I teach classes and everybody has the same recipe. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the same tools, the same ingredients, mm-hmm. and they all look different. Yeah. You know, they'll be making satay and they all, they all look different. And they're all sort of, you know, the meat is sort of threaded on the skewers differently, or they interpret things differently, or someone's cookies look completely different from someone else's cookies. And they swear that they've done it exactly the like letter. the recipe. And who knows what well, it may but be. But isn't, isn't that kind of. Yeah, the joy and it the beauty is, of cooking. It is, which like, is why I like to not be yeah. too rigid with my recipes. Yeah. But I agree that a lot of them need a, a, a measurement or yeah. a starting point at least. But I think that some of them just need to, you can't, you can't say you'll need a quarter teaspoon of salt, especially if you don't know what kind of salt they're using. But it's also, I think it, it brings up another topic, which is I think you talk about essential skills to be a good cook. Well, one of the essential skills is actually the ability to taste something. As you go. Or before you serve it, like to taste it and to go and to then talk to your brain about it. Be like, oh, does this need more salt? Does this need a squeeze of lemon juice? Could Mm -hmm. this use something else? Like allow yourself to trust your own palate. Yes. Um, And because ultimately you're going to be eating it. So if you like it, then most people will like it. Exactly. And when I'm teaching, I always 
like hammer that home. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the great points of argument between my husband and I that he'll be, he'll, he'll say, can you taste this? I'll be like, no, you fucking taste it. Like you're the one who's cooking this. Totally. I'm happy to come and if you're like, oh, I don't know. I think this needs, I'm happy to help, Yeah. but don't just get me to taste it. You taste it. Educate your own damn palate. And what do you think? And as someone might've been Anna Olson, someone was talking about, you know, getting familiar with the, the process of salting with a pot of mashed potatoes. Mm. So make a pot pot of mashed potatoes, Mm -hmm. which, you know, the salt would dissolve quickly in and taste it without salt and then add some salt and taste it and add some salt and taste Mm -hmm. it. I actually did that with Mike and Mm. taste it, taste it, taste it. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it tastes like potatoes. And then you'll go too far and you'll be like, oh, Oh, no, this just tastes like salt. Exactly. But that's how, I mean, you learn by doing it Mm -hmm. over and over and over and, and not being afraid of, you know, some, if you mess up, you get, you know, if you mess up, you get three more chances tomorrow. But it's it's interesting because you, I mean, you you ran the Chatelaine test, test kitchen, right? And and yeah, the Chatelaine I mean, tit kitchen, like no, you <laughs> not the Chatelaine tit kitchen. Although we were all women, <laughs> the Chatelaine <clears throat> test kitchen. I did run the Chatelaine test kitchen for six years. Yeah. So, and one of the questions was, how do you go about? developing a recipe, which is kind of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what's your starting point? How do you, how do you, how do you, mm. I'm looking up, how do you go about creating a new recipe? Mm. And, and Kara says for baked goods, but I think in general, how do you mm-hmm. go about creating a new recipe and how do you, how do you make sure it works for everybody? Mm-hmm. So the, the process, which is one I've been learning my whole recipe development career. Um, but I really, I feel like we really perfected it when I was at Chatelaine. Um, I always say it's a metaphor or an analogy that is not very flattering, but I use it anyway. I think of myself as a whale. So, <laughs> as do I. Right? I share that but, sentiment. I don't think of you as a whale. I don't think of you as a whale. I don't think of you as we're a whale. All whales. Myself, dolphins, so maybe. We're floating through the water with our mouths open, and we just take in gallons and gallons and gallons of stuff, mm-hmm. and we sift out the good stuff. The krill. The krill or the plankton or whatever it is that they eat. And so when you're, when this is your work and what you do is you consume food content in every way. We we read books, we're on the internet, we uh, cook it ourselves, we're in the grocery store, we're Mm -hmm. talking to people, we're teaching classes. When you take in all of that information, ideas just kind of seem to pop up. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that people would think this, whatever field you're in, if whatever, if you're in the field of music, if you're in the field of uh, interior design, if you're in construction, like if you're in that world, then you'll start to see trends and you'll also start to, you'll kind of feel like a little bit of a a Mm -hmm. twinge when you see something new happening. So that's always a great place to get ideas is to kind of just be in that world and take in as much content as you can. Mm -hmm. Then of course, when you're developing a recipe and if you're in the magazine business, like there's a really wonderful kind of template of the year. You know, January is always healthy stuff. February is usually comfort food. March is, you know, so there's a kind of a lovely rhythm to the year, which you can always be riffing on. Then you want to think about who is your user. Like, are you trying to write a recipe for a quick and easy weeknight dinner? Well, then you're probably not going to be buying really something really expensive or putting something into braise for three hours. Mm -hmm. Or is it for company? Are you going to be making multiple dishes at once and you need to kind of manage your oven time? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like, how is it going to be used is also an important question. 
Um, so then you come up with the idea and the way, uh, we always did it at Chatelaine, which is still the way I do it now is I write a draft recipe. So that means I just sort of put down what I think is going to work mm-hmm. in terms of quantities. I'll have question marks all over the place. I'll put a method down, but I'll be like a simmer 20 minutes, question mark, question mm-hmm. mark. Mm-hmm. So I put in a lot of questions into my own draft recipe and then you just have to put that recipe on its feet, right? Yeah. You actually have to cook it mm-hmm. and taste it. And I still use paper. Like I'm so that I can quickly write things down because if I have my computer in the kitchen, it's going to get wet and that's Mm going to be bad. So then I take tons and tons of notes. Um, Now that I'm sort of creating recipes myself, I can kind of wing it a bit more in the kitchen. But when I was at Chatelaine, uh, the developer would draft the recipe, put the recipe on its feet. Then we would all come together and taste it Mm -hmm. and offer our ideas, suggestions. The person who made it would always be saying, well, you know, I, uh, it's going to take six hours to do all the dishes that I made, or I couldn't find this. So there, there are a lot of, um, other aspects that go into the recipe besides just what it tastes like. Right. And of course in the magazine world, same in the cookbook world, you're also thinking about what it looks like because it's going to be photographed. So if it's a sea of Brown, you're going to have to throw some peas in there or Mm -hmm. a bit of parsley on top or something, right? Because you're going to have to photograph it. Yeah. Um, so then at Chatelaine, it would then get tested by somebody else. So then that recipe would go to another cook and we learned so much through this. So we had a rule that every recipe was tested three times Mm -hmm. at least, and then more if it needed it. So famously we were, we had a recipe we were developing for homemade marshmallows. This is years and years ago and we needed it to be done in 10 minutes, like all the mixing, because it was for us, um, it was for a regular feature we did called 10 minute gourmet. I think it was 10 minute kitchen, 10 minute gourmet, something like that. First recipe, first time it was done. Perfect. Worked perfect. Nine and a half minutes. Marshmallows were gorgeous. Everybody loved them. Great. Tested again. Couldn't get it right. (gasps) Too long. Marshmallows aren't right. It took 28 tests. What? (laughs) And what, what happened between batch one and batch 28? All sorts of different things. So different people. And then of course, with things like marshmallows, there's things like humidity. There's things like sugar. There's things like speed of the mixer. Is it a metal pan or a glass pan? Like it was, but we, and then at a certain point, like around test 15, you're like, okay, we're either going to abandon this or we are going to beat this thing until we really get it. So we we were devoted. And how do you, how do you make sure that this isn't going to happen to the home cook? Like, does it all, is it, does it all come down to the indicators of deadness, like teaching people what they're looking for, what the, what the, where the finish line is? Yes. And also as you test it and as different people test it, those indicators come up. Right. So if it's not already baked into the recipe that, you know, the marshmallow mixture should be glossy and running like a particular indicator. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you need, and that's important, you need to put that into the recipe mm-hmm. so that the person who's making it at home, when you're not in a professional test kitchen, isn't going to mess up or miss that step and then have a disaster on her hands. Interesting. Yeah. And so do you find with a group of people in the test kitchen that each cook would would interpret the recipe differently? Um. Yes and no. I think the funniest example was the roasted vegetables we did early in my time there. And it was something like parsnips or carrots or some kind of root vegetable that had been roasted. 
uh, in sort of stick shape and was developed by Carolyn, who was, uh, you know, seasoned recipe tester, seasoned developer. And I would also like to add that a regular sized person. (laughs) And then the next person who tested the recipe was Irene, a lovely young woman, Thai of origin, teeny tiny, delicate hands. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, she made the recipe. Everything was burnt. Well, because in the recipe, it said, cut the parsnips into finger sized pieces. And Carolyn had normal sized fingers and Irene had teeny (laughs) tiny fingers. So that's when we realized, you know what? We're probably going to have to say like about half an inch by six inches or whatever it was. The measurement. And that's when we started carrying rulers in the kitchen. Um, because if it's actually going to make a difference. Yeah. Interesting. And I, we don't want Susie to burn her parsnips. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you got to sort of bake, put that stuff into the recipe. So we learned a lot through recipe testing and it became, like it, it, it's just so clear what an important um, process it was, even though it cost a lot of money. Like that was a big investment for Chatelaine, you know, to have all these people to doing multiple recipe tests. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, Chatelaine and a readership of 6 million people, like even if 1% of the people who read the magazine make that recipe, if it doesn't work out for them, that is a really, really hard obstacle to get over, right? Yeah. So if you make a recipe and it doesn't work, uh, as a reader, you are not only are you not going to trust anything else from that magazine again, right. recipes, health advice, fashion tips, yeah. but you're also going to tell your friends because people yeah. who are mad generally seem to be noisy. Yes, especially now. And people still come up to me and say, you know, I love Chatelaine recipes. They always work. And that's such a huge, oh huge gosh. thing. When people come up to me and say, oh, I made your such and shits. I, I, I know. I you hold your like, breath. And it was great. You know, I have, I have an answer to this, but what do you, what's the thing that you do in a cooking class that elicits the most gasps of shock from the people who are watching you? Oh, she does it like that. Oh, good question. Okay. You think about that because mine is salting pasta water. Oh yeah. So people see me salt pasta water and they fall over in a pile. Yeah. They're like, are you kidding me? Totally. People who are used to like taking a little pinch of salt and putting in six gallons of pasta water, Mm -hmm. you may as well like not. Mm -hmm. If you're salting pasta water, salt it. You need a tablespoon for four liters of water. Yeah. Oh, I know. And it's not, it's mostly going to go down the drain. Like it's not all going to be absorbed into the food. And especially if you're doing, if it's for pasta and you're doing something like carbonara or garlic spaghetti, where it's Mm -hmm. not going to be a really heavy sauce, Mm -hmm. you need to have that salinity. Yes. And each and every strand. Yeah. Is there something that you do? Do you like... I'm still thinking... I what? Oh, geez! You don't Usually peel carrots, like or making, you? Yeah, I don't peel carrots. <laughs> Why would you peel a carrot? That's like aesthetic. Sometimes I, they're gnarly, though. Although some people, you know, some people get, you know, like oh, maybe some dirt. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's mostly when I do pastry, mm. and I, I'm really not finicky about the pastry, yeah. and I'm just like, you know, do not fear the pastry because it can mm. sense fear. Um, <laughs> I feel it's funny. It's, there's always something that I kind of say off the cuff and mm-hmm. people are like, oh, Hold the phone. exactly. And I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. it's, sometimes it's hard. I assume that people know things mm. that, uh, you mm-hmm. know, they, they don't always know. Um, I always say I learn more from my students than they learn from me. Totally. Because it's exactly that. It's yeah. me saying, oh, and so of course, you know, you don't need to use hot milk for making a bechamel yeah. or something. And they'll go, wait, what? What? Huh? Yeah. What? But my grandmother said you had to. No. Oh, wait, you wash your cast iron pan with soap? Oh, But my grandmother part. said you can't. Totally. You have to like, you know, wipe yeah. it with a diaper and, you know, breathe <laughs> on it. 
Breathe on washing it with chicken. Oh, yeah, 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 not washing oh, chicken. Stuff. Although yeah. searing yeah. meat to seal in the juices. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no yeah. not true, not true. Yeah, creating flavor. Yeah, that's a big mm. one actually because I do a lot of you know bourguignon classes and mm. and browning the meat creates the flavor. That's where all the flavor is. The all that brown shit tastes good. That's what the gravy is yeah. made out of, yeah. and it's not sealing in the juices. Yeah, there are a lot of myths out there, mm. but uh, but I feel I feel like you know people being given the opportunity to watch a process helps so much. So much. You know, and the things that you don't, th- I often don't think of writing into a recipe. They'll see me do mm-hmm. it and be like, oh. Have I you ever heard the Barefoot Contessa, Ina Garten, talk about her process? It's no. so interesting. Oh, I'm looking it up. Because she, um, there's an interview she did with Cherry Bomb about three years ago, which is the best one to listen to. And she talks about, so she has this, uh, a young woman who's her assistant, her name is Lydie. Yeah. And what... Uh, she would do is Lydie would watch her cooking mm-hmm. and Lydie would say things like, Oh, uh, why are you rolling up the basil like that before mm-hmm. you cut it? Mm-hmm. And so then Ina would say, Oh, okay, well n- note that we're going to put that in the recipe or like, so she would have essentially somebody like a student right. watching her and asking her those questions. And then they would build those comments so and indicators. I mean, it would be wonderful to live in a billion dollar house in the Hamptons and have an assistant to watch you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just thinking. Um, but you have a seven year old. I have a seven year old and he, he does things like, Oh, I was making hot cross buns a few weeks ago and you know, I had the dough and it, it had done the first rise and I took it out of the kitchen. I said, or out of the oven, um, where it was rising. I said, do you want to punch the dough with yeah, me? Yeah. And he was like, why do you punch the dough? And of course, then I launched into a, <laughs> yes, he was like too why complicated did I explanation about gluten and air yeah. and yeah. fermentation, and he was like, "Can I eat this raisin out of the dough?" I'm like, "All right, good, sure." <laughs> sure. But yes, no, he's not very helpful. Uh, well, and I have a, I've had a few friends say, "Can you come to my house mm-hmm. and sit and watch my mom make this coriander <gasps> chutney or this really? things that doses like things that they make just by feel?" Yeah, and and their their kids have not been able to replicate, and they can't. Yeah. They, they watch them do it, but they can't. So I've, I've actually on several occasions gone and set, which is great. Yeah. That's I so love fun. learning yeah. how to make these dishes. Yeah. There's so much knowledge in home cooks. Like there's so people who've been doing it for decades, you know, yeah. generations. And I, those are the people I want to learn I know. from, you know, so sitting and, and making notes and watching and she'd say like, Oh, I put in, I put in like a, a tablespoon of lime juice and really it's like, you know, it's she's put in cup. like yeah. Yeah, four <laughs> limes. And, and so she's, you know, and, and Yep. Of course. You kind of, you have a hard time estimating when you're doing it yourself, but. That's why chefs don't write good books. Sorry. The only, you know, who did such a smart thing. This is years ago. We're way off topic now. Mm. Jean-Georges von Richten, when he would write his, he's a very fancy chef. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. he would write his books, he had Mark Bittman, the famous food writer, come and watch him and then, and ask him, oh, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And then they built that into the recipe. Yeah. That's why. That's why people who write recipes professionally. Well, and I do a lot of, it. I, I, I vet a lot of chef recipes for yeah, magazines. Exactly. And yeah. Man, well, sometimes bad. they're like eight different elements because they've mm-hmm. all been prepped and they're like put mm-hmm. away, but the, it's just so not. Two tablespoons user. of hollandaise sauce. Mm, no. <laughs> so I'm going to make hollandaise. For that. No, exactly. And then use two tablespoons and what? Throw out the rest? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like a different environment in totally. the, the restaurant kitchen. Different. I had a recipe. <laughs> That called for a bucket of something. And it was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure a bucket is not a standard measure. Unless for home you're cooks. ordering fried chicken. Yeah. I mean, giving people confidence in the kitchen is what it all comes down to. That's and right. trusting their own, trusting their gut. <laughs> 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 See what I did there? <laughs> 
<laughs> I think back to the days of, of Best of Bridge, which mm. was a group of ladies in 1975 who had a bridge club and they, you know, self-published their first book and they've sold, you know, since then 4 million copies and they're just regular home cooks. And mm-hmm. I feel like before the internet, people loved their books and their recipes because they they weren't on a pedestal. They weren't the yeah. celebrity chefs. They felt like your neighbor that you would get a, a different recipe, recipe from. from. And yeah. if you could do it, I can do it too. Yep. And so, so I feel like there, there is some benefit to, you know, and, and we see that in, in food blogs now, they're all, you know, regular people and home cooks and parents mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, struggling with the same day to day issues of dinner. So, so I feel like people can, you know, relate on, on, on some level to these home cooks that, that don't work in professional kitchens. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's sort of, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but um, <laughs> there's like, and then the celebrity chefs all started putting out home cooking yeah. books. Or yeah, know? I know. I'll never forget. I was interviewing Daniel Balud, wonderful chef, amazing restaurants. And he had just written a book called something like the Daniel way, at home, the or, way I cook or something like yeah. that. And I was sitting with him at the four seasons in Toronto, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, so what, you know, if it's a, it's a late night, you know, you've been working, what do you make yourself for dinner? And he says, well, I live on top of the restaurant. So I just get the boys to make me something. Oh. I'm like, oh, you fucking asshole. Excuse yeah. me. But like, <laughs> and you just wrote a book called the way I cook at home. Screw yeah. you. So you, you know don't what? actually cook at home. I mean, I love you and I love restaurant chefs and I have such deep and profound respect for them, but they yeah. are a different type of person than a home cook. I want a dinner that I can make from stuff that's in my pantry Mm -hmm. in 20 minutes that won't leave me with a tub, you know, huge tub of dishes to do that doesn't require a demi glaze that's been, you know, simmering for four years. Like regular home cooking. Exactly. And that's, and I think one thing that you do really well is making things uncomplicated. That's why I call my book uncomplicated. Exactly. (laughs) And unintimidating. And, you know, a friend of mine texted me yesterday and said, my daughter's getting her braces off today. Where can I find some candy apples? And I was like, I, you know, I couldn't think of anywhere except a mall that's outside of town. It's like halfway to Airdrie. And I said, but you know what? You could really make caramel apples. So like go buy, go buy a bag of craft caramels. Like I was trying to make it, you know, Melt them in the microwave yeah. with a spoonful of milk yeah. and then dip your apples in and then just like roll them in yeah. Smarties. And he was like, I, that sounds way too complicated. I think I'm going to drive out to <laughs> Cross Iron Mills. And I was like, no, no just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And then you'll see, you know, but, but I think that's a, a big, a big thing is just, you know, helping people be comfortable in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you're not comfortable, like, that, that you still like struggle with or don't enjoy or just in the kitchen, in the kitchen? Oh God, all kinds of stuff. Um, Ah, I like, I don't butcher whole fish. Oh yeah. Um, so if I ever have a whole fish, I would just cook it whole on the barbecue and then kind of take it apart. Yep. Uh, after the fact, um, I just generally don't do fussy stuff. Uh, you know, when I decorate a cake or when I frost a cake, it is slapped on there. Like it is not fancy. It is rustic. When I do a buttercream, it's just, that's right. Um, and in fact, I don't do any, you know, I barely even do cutout cookies anymore. Like yeah. I like drop cookie, I like a roll cookie. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, uh, I do. I do cutout cookies for my kid at Christmas because he likes that. Um, but I truly, the way I cook is what I, the way I write. Um, 
I, I'm not interested. I love to cook, but I'm not interested in spending so much time making something perfect that you're going to eat in one bite. Yeah. When I was apprenticing in the restaurant world, getting my chef degree or chef papers, we were doing um, a New Year's Eve menu that was something like nine courses, you know, one of these prefix and it was fine dining. People would come in, pay their, I think it was $75. Mm-hmm. That's how long ago it was. You could have a, like a nine wow. course prefix you're for $75. So and I, I was working the garden manger, which is the cold stuff. So all the appetizers yeah. and desserts. So I was rolling spring rolls. I was making the filling and doing the spring roll. It was a one bite thing. Mm-hmm. And it probably took me a day to oh, make yeah. them all. And I thought, I remember halfway through going, this is one bite. Yeah. Why? 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 Well, because people, when they go to these fancy, they're, they're going for the experience, right? Of they're going for things that they can't make at home. Yes. Right? And they, they're looking for that really special, unique. And, and great. And, and and that's why you shape the potatoes and the carrots yeah. in a special way but in a restaurant versus at home. But yeah. It's Wednesday night and you're hungry. Totally. I agree. You can make yourself dinner and you yeah. can just be pasta with olive oil, garlic, yeah. and parmesan. Totally. It's pretty good. Or a jelly donut. <laughs> Totally balanced yes. dinner, one in each hand. Totally. Right? Just fill one with like foie gras pâté. <laughs> <laughs> Homemade, of course. All right. <laughs> Kidding. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, you made it to the end of our conversation. The secret word for this episode is jelly donuts. So if you send that to me by email or social media, one of you will win a copy of Claire's new cookbook. Have a great day.